And welcome back to the Word Encounter episode 80. As you can see, something's a little different today. I've got somebody with me. Uh, this is my favorite girl. This is my wife. And she has uh, decided to join us. Actually, she didn't decide. I invited her mm -hmm. and she agreed to it. Honey, what you got to say? <laughs> well, basically, I'm here to make a confession that um, I read my Bible every day, but I've never read through the Bible the whole way, like from begin front to back. I've just never done it. And so I just want to thank you for doing this because this will be the first year I'll be able to say that I've read through the Bible in a year. <laughs> I'm listening to you every day. So I just take 15 or 20 minutes every day to listen to you, and that's going to get me through. And then there's certain days when I don't listen, and then I have to binge listen to you. <laughs> lucky <laughs> to catch you. Up. Yeah, lucky me. <laughs> no, lucky me. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I have to say. All right, then. And so with that, we're going to continue on. We... Uh, I finished yesterday in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, so let's pick it up in chapter 33. Verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, imitating the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord God uh, had disposed before the Israelites. We already know this because we went over this in 2 Kings. And we get reminded he sacrificed one of his sons in the valley. He practiced witchcraft, divination, sorcery, consulted mediums and spiritists. He just did everything that the Lord detested. And uh, the word says he did a huge amount of evil in the Lord's sight, angering him. And so um, we just see, again, it's a recount of Manasseh. We know what he did. In verse 7, it says, Manasseh set up carved images of um of the idol which he had made in God's temple. And so he made an idol in the temple of the Lord. You're talking about apostasy. Oh my goodness gracious. He was just, he, he was a wild man with regard to his wickedness. Um, and then uh, in verse 9 it says, So Manasseh caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to stray so that they did worse evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. They did even worse than what the nations that the Israelites deposed had done under Manasseh. In verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they didn't listen. So he brought against them the military commanders of the king of Assyria. They captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. <clears throat> now this is interesting. This is what is not covered in uh, 2 Kings. It says, uh, when he was in distress... He sought the favor of the Lord his God and earnestly humbled himself. This wasn't a fake humble. He earnestly humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. He prayed to him, and the Lord was receptive to his prayer. So the Lord was receptive to Manasseh's prayer, even though he had committed just tremendous evil and wickedness in the land and led others to do the exact same thing. But it said that he earnestly humbled himself, and the Lord was receptive to his prayer. What you got to say? Hmm. Sometimes when you get backed into a corner like that, then you just have to like turn and seek God. And I guess what I liked about that was God heard him. Like he didn't turn his back on him. He he heard him and helped him out of his troubles. Oh, absolutely. And so that's a, that, I think that's a key thing for us to realize. No matter what we do, the, the Lord's graciousness and mercy is immense. 
And so it's available to us even when we screw up and screw up and screw up and screw up. Sometimes we get in our own way because we think that we cannot be forgiven for the things that we have done. We've just done too much. But that's not true. You know, we shouldn't be turning away from God in those times. We should be turning towards God in those times and being earnest and being sincere in Mm -hmm. our repentance. And, and whatnot, and not just trying to, you know, be a fake humble or a fake repentance, but something that's deep down. And we'll see here later on, well, we'll see pretty soon, that Manasseh was sincere in his, um, uh, in, in his turning to the Lord. We'll, we'll, we'll see that he was uh, earnest through his example, through his actions. And so uh, it says, he granted his request and brought him back to Israel to his kingdom. And so Manasseh was carried away okay, to a foreign land and in jail, and the Lord brought him back. I don't know how he got out of jail, out of of prison. I don't know, but the Lord brought him back to his kingdom. And then the word says, so Manasseh came to know that the Lord is God. Manasseh came to know, and this word know is like a deep knowing. He came to know. He knew beyond knew. He knew beyond knowing, beyond knowing. He knew beyond knowing, beyond knowing, beyond knowing that the Lord is God. Come Sometimes something happens in your life and you're, mm-hmm. you're like, the only explanation is that had to be God. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where he was. He was at that place where he had done so much bad mm-hmm. that when this, when he encountered God, he knew he encountered God. Yes. And so I, I think that, you know, we all hit those places and, and the, the issue is, OK, what are we going to attribute this to? A lot of times God is moving in the lives of people, but they don't see it. They don't recognize it or they refuse to see it or refuse to recognize it. They attribute it to luck or coincidence mm-hmm. or, or whatever, when it's actually the Lord that is moving in their life. And so Manasseh knew that and he acknowledged it. And it said in verse 14, After this, so after he had come back to Jerusalem, he built the outer wall of the city of David from West Gihon, and he heightened it considerably. So he heightened the wall, because these were the defenses around the city. And so it says in verse 15, he removed the foreign gods and the idol from the Lord's temple, the, the idol that he had built in the temple. Now he got rid of it, along with all the altars that he had built on the mountain um, of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside the city. Not some, all. He got rid of everything that he had done that was detestable and evil. In verse 16, he built the altar of the Lord and offered fellowship and thank offerings on it. He told them, uh, Then he told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Not only did he himself turn from his wicked ways and then started doing things that he knew was right, Now he's leading the people and telling them, this is what you need to do. Now, remember, Mm -hmm. he was the king at turning people from God. And now he's coming back and saying, okay, no, essentially I was wrong. You need to turn back to the Lord God of Israel. And so, um, uh, and then in verse 20, it says, Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in his own house. His son uh, Amon became king in his place. Now, we'll notice that it says he was buried in his own house. He was not buried in the tombs of the kings of Judah. And so even though he had turned from his wicked ways, and even though he started to eradicate the things that he had done wrong, he still had to pay a penance, if you will, for the things that he did when he was evil. And, and one of those things is he was not buried in the tomb of the kings. He was buried in his own yard. So what do you think about him 
you know, still having to pay a price. And we'll see later on, he even paid a greater price or his actions actually caused the people of Judah to pay a greater price. Um, so even though he turned from his ways, there were still consequences that had to be accounted for. Because sometimes when we do things, like it sets things in motion that you just can't stop. Like you still have to reap what you sowed back there. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we don't get a free pass just because we come to a recognition, a recognition that I was wrong and I repent. Uh, we still have to atone for those things that we did, but we now find ourselves in the good graces of the Lord. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't eradicate us from um, the consequences of our actions when we were in sin. Yeah. But, easier than staying in that. Yep. Yucky place. That bad place. In verse 21, it says, uh, Amon was 22 years old when he became king and reigned two years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Uh, just as his father Manasseh had done. So he was witnessing what his father was doing, and so he was doing the same thing. And it says, but unlike Manasseh, in verse 23, he did not humble himself before the Lord, um, like his father Manasseh humbled himself. Instead, Ammon increased his guilt. And so he went further. You know, <laughs> He did even more. And, uh, and sometimes people do that. You know, they just said, not only am I, I going to do this, I'm going to double down and mm -hmm. I'm going to even do worse. You ain't seen nothing yet. And so in verse 24, it says, so his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his own house. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> That'd be like the housekeeper looking at me and going, uh, Valerie, we're done with you. Like, <laughs> we're just going to take you out because we can't stand you anymore. <laughs> Essentially, that's what happened, right? And so at 25, in verse 25, it says, The common people killed all the people who had conspired against King Ammon, and they made his son Josiah king in his place. And so the common people killed Ammon's killers. And so they, you know, they, they, they took revenge out and got vengeance for his death, but he, was, he wasn't right. And so then Josiah comes along, and so here's an example of the son not following in the ways of his father. As we Again, we've already covered this in 2 Kings, but um, so we're going to cover some things that we didn't cover in 2 Kings. And, and uh, chapter what, 34, verse 1, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. In the eighth year of his reign, when he was 16 years old, while he was still a youth, Josiah began to seek the Lord God of his ancestor David. And so when he was 16, he started seeking the Lord. He was the king. And, and uh, it's, it's kind of like a Solomon thing, I think, because he was like recognizing his responsibilities. And, and when that says, I got to seek some help, I seek the Lord on this. And it says in his 12th year, when he was 20 years old, he began to, clean, to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images. And so in his dialogues with the Lord, he knew what he had to do. He started clearing out Judah of all of the idols and all the stuff, the wickedness that was going on, and, um, and, 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 and start you know, making way for the way of the Lord. And so we've already covered, you know, a lot of this uh, in, in 2 Kings. And so if you recall, you know, that, um, uh, that one of the priests 
when he was uh, restoring the temple, found the book of the law of Moses, and he brought it to uh, Josiah. Josiah said, read it to me. So Josiah, so the priest read it to Josiah. Josiah like tore his robe and whatnot because he realized that the people were not following the ways of the Lord. And he says, we need some help in interpretation on this. So he sent his, pre uh, his priests and assistants over to the prophetess Huldah and said, have her interpret this for us and let us know what to do. And so she told the, 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 the priests and assistants, this is what you're doing. Go back and tell your king. And so, um, and so in verse 26 here, it says, so she's saying this to, to the priest to tell the king, say this to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. As for the words that you heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God uh, when you heard his words against this place and against the inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and you wept before me, I myself have heard. This is the Lord's declaration. I will indeed gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered uh, to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am bringing on this place and on its inhabitants. Now we will find out that Josiah died in not so peaceful of a manner, in my opinion. But what I think that was occurring here is the Lord was keeping him from seeing the destruction of Judah. And so that was the piece that he was talking about. That's the only way, the only thing that makes sense to me. But again, we'll see that he's not going to die in peace, as we've already covered, but we get into more detail here in Second Chronicles. And so it says um, uh, in verse 20, after all that, and so all that being, so Josiah had restored the temple worship, done a lot. He had restored Passover. He'd done all these things to get the people back in alignment with God because of what was in the book of the law that was read to him and interpreted for him. And so the word says in verse 20, after all this that Josiah had prepared for the temple, King Necho of Egypt marched up to fight at Carchemish uh, by the Euphrates and, jo and Josiah went out to confront him. But Necho sent messengers to him saying, what is the issue between you and me, King of Judah? So uh, Necho is essentially saying, what's up, Josiah? Why are you coming? What are you doing? Why are you coming out here? I have not come against you today, but I am fighting another dynasty. And so the king, uh, or excuse me, Pharaoh Nico is saying, look, I'm not coming against you. I'm going against somebody else. You know, get out of my way. I don't have a problem with you. And then Nico tells him, God told me to hurry. Uh, God told me to hurry. So stop opposing God who is with me. Don't make him destroy you. So Nico's not saying don't make me destroy you. <laughs> so Nico's saying, look, this is what I heard from the Lord. And so I'm going to do this. You're trying to stop me. Don't make him, the Lord, you know, destroy you. And so it, it's interesting because obviously as we read further that Josiah didn't believe him. And so this is coming from Pharaoh Nico, uh, king of Egypt, and the word of the Lord is being spoken through him to Josiah, uh, King Josiah, but Josiah had heard from the Lord, uh, from the book of the law and from his prophetess and other people. And this is coming from an outsider, one that is not part of, of the brotherhood, one that is not an Israelite. But the word of the Lord is coming through him, but Josiah doesn't believe him. And so this, to me, it's another cautionary tale with regard to uh, where we think the voice of the Lord is coming from. What, what do you think about this? I, I think... I agree with you. I mean, he 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 had to listen to what the Lord was saying, and so he was in a hurry. And here's this guy standing in his way, and he he had to deal with it. Yeah, and so sometimes we don't like 
sometimes we don't like where the message of the Lord is coming from. Right. We don't like the vessel that the word is being carried in. We don't like the person that is delivering the word of the Lord. And so what we want to do is to discount the word. But the Lord uses all kinds of people, believers and non-believers, in order to deliver his word to his people. And so we need to be careful about how we edit and filter his word. And so, and that takes discernment, you know, that takes a knowing the character and the integrity of God in order to discern whether or not this is a word from the Lord or not. Mm-hmm. In verse 22, it says, but Josiah did not turn away from him, him being Pharaoh Nico. Instead, in order to fight with him, he disguised himself. He did not listen to Nico's words from the mouth of God. And so this is the Bible saying that, uh, that Josiah, a man of God, did not listen to the words from Pharaoh Nico from the mouth of God. So the, uh, the Bible is confirming that what Nico was telling Josiah was in fact from God. But he went to the valley to fight. In verse 23, the archers shot King Josiah, and he said to his servants, take me away, for I am severely wounded. So his servants took him out uh, of the war chariot, carried him to a second chariot, and brought him to Jerusalem. Then he died, and they buried him in the tomb of his fathers. And so you see, that was, to me, not a peaceful death. That's a violent death. But he is taken out before Judah is is eliminated, you know, so... This seems kind of severe, but I don't, I don't... What's your opinion on this? It did seem kind of severe because he was told that he was going to die in peace, but then he was taken out of his... Can you imagine being pulled out of your warrior chariot and put in another chariot yes. to be sent home to die? Like, And he didn't die an easy death. No. Like, and he knew he was dying. Like, he was yeah. aware. All of this. He knew all of this stuff. Um, yeah, so, but again, he was kept from the destruction uh, of the nation. And so that had to be what the Lord was referring to when he said you will die in peace. Let's go on to chapter 36. Uh, then the common people took uh, Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in Jerusalem in place of his father. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months, a whole three months, in Jerusalem. 90 days. <laughs> then King Necho of Egypt made Jehoahaz's brother Eliakim king over Judah and Jerusalem and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took his brother Jehoahaz and brought him to Egypt. So we see how weak Judah is now because a foreign power can just come in and take their king away. And so they took the king away and made his brother king. And not only did he make his brother king, he changed his name. And so whenever you can name something or rename something, that demonstrates your power over that thing. Mm-hmm. So we see now that the king of, of Judah and Judah itself is basically uh, Egypt's flunky at this point in time in history. They, they basically have no power. And it says in verse 5, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Now King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked him, and bound him in bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. So we see now that Babylon is now the power in the region. And so they, they're like supplanted Egypt because it doesn't say anything about Egypt. Now it says Babylon is coming in. And so, um, and then it says um, uh, his son uh, Jehoiakim became king in his place. And so after they took the king away to Babylon, so we have one king taken to Egypt, the other king taken to Babylon, and now his son is in his place. 
And it says in verse 9, Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king. Can you imagine that? 18 years old. And he reigned three months and 10 days in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. In the spring, Nebuchadnezzar sent for him and brought him to Babylon along with the valuable articles of the Lord's temple. Uh, then he made Jehoiakim's brother, uh, Zedekiah, king over Judah and Jerusalem. And so he got deposed, you know, uh, to Babylon. Then he made his brother the king. And then um, it says in, in, in verse 11, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, his God, and did not humble himself. <clears throat> and so when obviously when you don't humble yourself, then bad things proceed from there. And it says, the God of their ancestors, they, they being the people of Judah, the God of their ancestors, sent word against them by the hand of his messengers. In verse 16, but they kept ridiculing God's messengers. Again, they being the people of Judah, the, um, despising his words and scoffing at his prophecies until the Lord's wrath was so stirred up against his people that there was no remedy. Game over. The Lord had 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 reached his limit with the people of Judah. You know, 150, 180 years previous, he was sick of the people of Israel, so they got de deported off to Assyria. And now the same thing is about to happen to the people of Judah. It says in verse 17, So he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their fit young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. He had no pity on young men or young women, elderly or aged. He handed them all over to him. He took everything to Babylon, all the articles of God's temple, uh, large and small, the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials. Then the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans is another word for Babylonians, then the Chaldeans burned God's temple. They tore down Jerusalem's wall, burned all its palaces, and destroyed all its valuable articles. So they wiped out Jerusalem. They took the people away and wiped out Jerusalem. In verse 20, then he deported those who escaped from the, uh, from the sword to Babylon, and they became the servants to him and his sons until the rise of the Persian kingdom. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through Jeremiah. And the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. And the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the days of the uh, desolation until seventy years were fulfilled. So we see that the Babylonians had come in under Nebuchadnezzar. They wiped out Jerusalem, took all the people away. They left a few of the very, very poor people. They took all of the treasures and they tore down the wall. They burned the power. They just wiped out. Uh, uh, Judah from the face of the land and uh, from the face of the earth. And then the word says, and that because of that, the land enjoyed 70 years of peace. <laughs> you know? So I guess the land was, uh, the land was rejoicing. What, what do you think about what happened to the people of Jerusalem? I just think, I, I just think they kind of got what they deserved, I guess, okay. for, you know, they kept turning away the messengers and not listening when God was trying to talk to them in different ways. And so, it ended in their demise, yeah. and they became slaves, the ones that he saved. So, so we, so we know that God has is graceful and has uh, just uh, is very merciful, but apparently that mercy isn't infinite. You know, he gets to a point where enough is enough, and um, and remember, this had been centuries of behavior, and and so, the, you know, the the jig was up basically. Now in verse twenty two. 
says, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, and we'll get to Jeremiah uh, in subsequent episodes, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and also put it in writing. Now, let's back up for a second. And so Persia, where'd they come from? Well, the Persian Empire was on the rise, and the year prior to this decree that uh, King Cyrus is going to put out, they actually defeated and conquered the Babylonian Empire. So now the Persian Empire is the dominant power in the world. And so the word says, in the first year of that empire, King Cyrus of Persia made a declaration. And this is what he said. <clears throat> he said in verse 23, this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The king... Uh, the Lord, I'm sorry, the Lord, the God of the heavens has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a temple in Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you go up and may the Lord his God be with you. So here we have a foreign king, now the dominant power in the world. They've taken over the Babylonian Empire. So now all of the captives and exiles from Judah that were in Babylon are now under the auspices of the king of Persia. And so he's making a declaration to them. He's saying essentially that your God, the God of Israel, has spoken to me and he has told me that I am to be the king of the region, if you will, of all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has told me that I am to rebuild his temple in Judah. And so therefore I am releasing you, captives uh, of Babylon, now captives of Persia, I am releasing you to go back home and to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the, te the temple. In other words, reestablish you know, the Lord God of Israel on the earth in Judah. Say something to me. <laughs> I have nothing. I have nothing. You have zero? I have zero. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes to show you that the Lord can work through people, again, uh, that don't come to us in the manner in which we think they should come to us. And so he's working through the king of Persia here. Okay, he was working through Pharaoh, you know, king of Egypt before. Now he's working through the king of Persia. And so, so many times we evaluate the messenger and ignore the message. And we need to listen to the message and then discern, is this from God or not? Because he can send his message through ravens, through animals, through donkeys, through unbelievers, through whatever. And so, that is the cautionary tale when dealing with the Lord. And with that, we will see you tomorrow as we encounter the book of Ezra. Everybody take care. Bye-bye.